Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Spilling Lemonade Podcast. This is your host, Cami Nelson, back with another episode. All right. So today we're kind of just going to skip right to the point. Um, first of all, I just hope your day is going well. I hope you're nourishing yourself today, whether that be your soul or your body. And I hope you can find something positive in today. Now, on to today, we do have a very special guest today. Her name is Lucy Waldman. She is an author of The Jots of Becoming. And (laughs) I just wanted to make sure I got that right. And uh, ED Recovery Coach. And I'll let Lucy say hi. Hi, uh, my name is Lucy Waldman, and I am an eating disorder recovery coach certified by the Carolyn Costin Institute, who is actually the founder of a big treatment center in the field. And I published my own book while going through my recovery called The Jots of Becoming. Awesome. All right. So as you can guys see, if you already don't know Lucy, you should definitely know her. You can follow her on Instagram. I'll have all that information in the description. Um, She is honestly one of my biggest inspirations when I was going through recovery. I remember I found her and I just was in awe. As someone who wants to go into the field of recovery myself, I want to be an eating disorders dietitian. I loved that she chose that path. And I also just thought it was, she's just honestly such a nice soul. So I'm super excited to be here and talk to you today. I'm really excited to talk to you too. It's amazing you want to go into it as well. I think it's great that so many um, people who went through this are now going into it. And I know you're going to make a huge difference in this field too. Thank you. I I definitely, I'm still in high school, so not quite there yet, but I'm excited to super, that's like my big motivator for my future. So, okay, kind of getting into it. Before we start talking more about being a recovery coach and being an author and ED recovery, if you kind of wanted to summarize a little bit about your journey. So give, um, just, you know, whatever you're comfortable sharing about how did you get to where you are now? Of course, I started struggling when I was pretty young. It started off as anxiety and I would get really, feel really sick when I got anxious. And so I started correlating that with restricting every time I got anxious and something from that sort of stuck. And I got diagnosed with an eating disorder um, right at the beginning of high school. And I had I had, so I had a very non-linear path, which I know is very typical. Um, I had, I've been to treatment and it took a few times for it to really stick. And I realized I wanted to recover when I realized what I was doing wasn't working. And I was just so tired of going through the process of trying and then relapsing again and then going back to treatment. And I got to where I was today after treatment, I started writing and I really liked publishing blogs. And then I decided to write my own book after I had published so many blogs and written on Instagram that I wanted a space to sort of compile it because I also got questions about certain posts that I noticed was always sending people posts or writing posts based on questions I got so I just put it all in a book um and I decided to become a recovery coach actually I had my own recovery coach while going through recovery and I really loved working with her and she made a huge difference in my life 
that is sorry I wasn't sure if you were done and then I started answering like And I, one of the most fulfilling parts about having an Instagram actually was connecting with people over direct messaging. And that made me really want to go into the field. So I made so many cool connections. Like I met Cami, and I also have connected with so many other people that have inspired me to really go on to continue this work. That is such, okay, first of all, I love the story like of your life basically I mean of like how you got here I know this is just the mental health aspect of your life I guess or the eating disorder aspect but first of all I just wanted to say it's a very inspirational story of um I love you know I like to say turn pain into power and I feel like that definitely like demonstrates like you know your struggles and now you're doing something you're passionate about and that you love and helping others along the way I also wanted to say I don't know if anyone else out there can relate, but personally, I related to so much of your story. I'd love to talk separately another time about, um, like, just, like, I love that you shared that it wasn't linear. I know I've personally had, like, and I know I've heard other people reach out to me who are, like, well, one day I want to go into the field, but I feel like I can't because I've struggled myself and because I went to treatment. And I love that you kind of are breaking the that, like, barrier a little bit. And, um, I just wanted to, I think it's so cool that like, I mean, I love like one thing that really stood out to me when you were talking is like, just like you can see and like, well, not no one else can see it, but like how like you lit up when you're talking about like you got into writing and your Instagram. And I think that's just such a cool journey. And I know that you're helping so many people. So that's just really wonderful. Thank you. I think it's really important to break the stigma, especially around going to treatment. I know there's always a little controversy around that because on one hand, people use it as like a hallmarker to say like they were really sick and they need to go. And like, that's how they knew like their eating disorder was valid. And I think that definitely exists in the eating disorder community, but that's really unique to the eating disorder community. And most people actually do not think that way. And I think it is a new wave of the field of people with lived experiences have always been in the field. People who have gone through the system now, I think is very unique now. I, that's kind of what I've, I haven't personally worked. I've worked probably with over 10 different professionals because I myself have been to quite a few different treatment centers for different reasons. And, um, only one of those, I would say probably closer to 20, has had lived experience in itself and has, like, even gone through the system. And I think it's, like, now that, like, I'm reaching out to you and so many new people who are, like, yes, I want to go into this field who are part of the community. I feel like, as I agree with the part, it's definitely going to be a new wave of people who have, like, gone through it, which I think is such a unique and interesting perspective that can, like, provide a lot of insight. And then I also like what you said about you know, it can be like this marker. And I think it is important to keep in mind that like, that's a very niche perspective. Like not everyone thinks that way. And also I like to add when people talk about like, well, I'm not, you know, I get a lot, well, I, how do I know if I'm valid if I didn't go to treatment? And I like to point out, it's also a lot related to socioeconomic status. 
And if you're youth, what your parents are doing, your insurance, like it, it's just not, it's not a marker of severity. It can tend to be a marker of socioeconomics. So I also like to point that out that it's just not always correlated with in quotes, like the severity of your eating disorder. So I like that you pointed that out. I wholeheartedly agree. It's really not based on the severity. I think there are so many factors as to why certain people receive treatment and others don't. Most of it is actually privilege and insurance and geographic location. And, and sometimes the level of support systems or cultural beliefs surrounding treatment that some people, like cultures believe, I'm in graduate school, believe in a more like community-based treatment and would rather have people stay in our community than go to treatment. So I think it's very, there's so many factors that it's not that saying like, I've been in treatment X amount of time means like you're sicker than someone else. And also like as I've recovered, I know that's really not something to strive for. And most people, besides the small eating disorder community, do not think like that and actually think it's shocking that people in the eating disorder field think like that. I wholeheartedly agree. I actually just made a post recently about, I remember my very first treatment experience, someone had my roommate, like my very first night, we were just stayed up all night trying to give each other like advice as if we both weren't in a residential treatment facility struggling with an eating disorder. And she was like, well, one thing my therapist told me was, that there's no prize for being the sickest and also I so apologize if you guys can hear my dog barking um and oh my gosh okay and I had said you know I was just like shocked when I heard that and I was like well there is a prize but it's death um like the prize for being the sickest is dying um but I it's just like it dawned on me I hadn't at that point ever wanted no part of my eating disorder was wanting to be sick. Like I never liked that association. And so I remember like the shock I felt when I was like, oh, like there was like people out there who like, you know, it's just, if you look at it from an outside perspective and as you recover, I've noticed with like a lot of my peers and such, you move out of that like headspace. Like I would say after like a year in recovery, I look back and now I'm like, oh, like, no part of me wants that like I don't know none of that makes sense probably but it makes I'll sense. let you speak okay <laughs> and I also think you see it from a larger perspective of it's not the individual's fault always that they strive to be sick our health I'm very into this now that I'm in grad school um our healthcare system has it that there's only a certain number of spots for treatment for individuals and there's less spots then there are people who need them. So we've created this culture of having to fight for these spots and they only are giving them two to seconds people. So it's causing this reward system that we're like the insurance companies are rewarding people for being sick. And so I think that's where some of the responses are coming in. It's not that people just want to be sick for the sake of being sick. I think the healthcare system has created this message that that's the only way you're valid to receive care snaps to that okay I never really put it in that perspective but I love how you related it there's definitely like this 
even not like getting the highest level of care, but for insurance, I remember like personally, and I've heard other people, my insurance didn't approve me to see an eating disorder therapist. When I told them I like was suffering, they were like, well, mm, you have to be X, Y, Z criteria before we're going to approve that. And it definitely causes some of this, like the sick Olympics or whatever of like, it's not just coming from the individual. I really like that perspective of like, there's limited spots, you know, treatment centers can take up to like six months to get into. And if you get sicker medically or mentally or however criteria they're basing it off of, you might get ahead of that wait list. You might be able to get help sooner. You might, you know, it might give you, and treatment gives people hope to some extent. So I definitely, that's a very unique perspective that I haven't thought of. So I'm super glad that you brought that up. I have just thought about it so much more. And that's like a cool thing I've noticed about being not on the other side, but I, I, I'm a recovery coach, but I'm also like in graduate school to become a mental health counselor is you learn so much more about the systems and the way the systems work and even insurance companies work and you realize like all of it, I don't want to say is one big sham, but it sort of is like therapists have been put in positions where they've had to lie about criteria to get their clients to the help they need. And sometimes like some of the diagnoses they give clients because like, for instance, anorexia might get coverage, but um, otherwise specified feeding and eating disorders might not get coverage. So you give them that diagnosis because you know that will get them to care. That, okay. I just had like a massive like brain like sponge moment. Like everything you're saying, I'm really enjoying taking in because I've never thought of it from that perspective at all. And I'm not going to go into it, but even some stuff you said, I was like, oh my gosh, in my own recovery, this is like definitely, this makes so much more sense. Um, looking how things transpired a little bit and like in terms of how the system reacted to various aspects of my eating disorder. And I definitely know that there's other people out there who are like having these like brain spongy moments as well. So that's super interesting and um yeah I definitely think this is kind of a little bit off topic but I just wanted to add while we were talking about like how people react and stuff I also don't think the drive to be sicker um I think another aspect of it that might be kind of obvious is like there's so much like stigma fat phobia all of that in a lot of doc not all doctors but a lot of like medical fields I can name so many people who have told me that, oh my gosh, my doctor said this, and then I wanted to get sicker because there's just so much misconception about the correlation between weight and eating disorders and the idea that eating disorders are weight disorders. And also there's so many misconceptions about what is in quotes healthy and not healthy. Like I remember going to my eating disorder uh, into my doctor and basically telling them I had an eating disorder without using that word. And they were like, bravo bravo because i was still at in quotes a healthy weight according to bmi and i just ugh, i don't know i know you would probably have something to sit big on that so i totally agree to systems with that um i mean they do a lot of doctors do un- not get it and when i i always feel old when i say this when i've 
first started struggling with an eating disorder, um, it was something doctors, some doctors hadn't even heard of. Um, you would go to professionals talking like way back circa like 2013, 2014, and like 10 years ago, and you're like, what's that? Or something they hadn't hadn't really come to the surface yet. And I remember like even nurses can make comments. I remember I don't know what was that when we had to get weighed in gym class once once um a year and my sophomore year and a nurse turned to me and said, Aren't you a lucky gal? And I was like and I didn't say anything. Like I wasn't like I have an eating disorder because I didn't also I didn't want all any of my peers to know because that's when there was so much stigma, especially um a lot of years ago. And I think it's gotten a little better with Instagram and people posting about it. But at a time where no one was talking about it, it seemed like a huge shameful thing to have. And so even going to the doctors and saying that you were struggling with this, it's almost like they didn't know what to do with you. Or I had a client now even who said she went to the doctors and she was just given the advice of just eat healthier. And if that she was vegan, she wouldn't have an eating disorder. And how that made her feel. And it's, I think it's one of the hardest things about being a recovery coach and being in this field is you can't trust it if you send your clients to go to the doctor to get medically cleared, um, especially if they are struggling a lot with behaviors. I, I do encourage clients to go make sure they are safe enough to stay an outpatient. And it always feels like such a heartbreaking thing when they go and it causes more harm to them than not going would have caused. Yes, that makes a lot of sense. I've personally had experiences myself such as this. Um, Luckily, I found, I don't see an eating disorder. Actually, my eating disorder doctor wasn't very informed on eating disorders, like the one that specialized on eating disorders. I remember the very first thing she said to me is she looked at me before giving me my diagnosis, before telling me anything that was happening. She looks me dead in the eye and she was, I promise we won't make you fat. And I just was like, looked at my mom and I was like, out of here, we're out of here. And uh, she told me that like once a session, like twice a session. Oh my God. I can, and at the time that just did so much more harm. And I was so uninformed that I was just, that does, that, let me tell you guys, that didn't help. And luckily I found a pediatrician who's actually really informed on eating disorders and she's amazing um but I just it's it makes me sad that there's so much more sometimes there can be so much more harm done because they just don't understand the doctors you know I don't think especially I feel like what I've noticed with my personal experience I don't know if you can talk about this at all it seems like a little bit older doctors maybe hadn't been taught as much as like newer doctors because so, I've noticed the younger professionals I've worked with um, in terms of like medical professionals seem to be a little bit more informed than the older ones. I can definitely talk about that. Um, especially I moved in September of 2022. I used to live in a small town in Virginia and I moved to Boston, Massachusetts, which is a very, very big city. And a lot of my doctors growing up like hadn't heard of eating disorders or weren't trained in it, especially like they were older doctors and attracted like an older population of doctors. 
but I've had to establish new relationships with new doctors once I moved to Boston. And especially all the hospitals here are teaching hospitals. Um, and you see it, they all have like their like medical school logos on them. They're doctors, but they're, re- but I don't want to say like Grace Anatomy, they're residents and interns and that come and observe like with the doctors and almost when I opened up about my history with an eating disorder to them and my primary care physician was a resident, he ex- knew exactly what I was talking about. And he asked such thorough questions and he took it so seriously in the history and like almost like he knew what to say. He didn't. The hospital was like, so nice about refusing weights and I felt very grateful, but also I know that it's unfortunate that a rural or smaller town wouldn't have that because they aren't the same. They can't have the same. They don't have the same access as a bigger city. I mean, especially Boston, which is known for having very big hospitals. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense um, in terms of, like, I know, like, someone reached out to me the other day, and they have to drive eight hours to go see their doctor once a week, and because that's, like, the only doctor nearby who even takes patients with an eating disorder diagnosis, and there's just so much I could add to this, but, yeah, I definitely think there's a lot of change also being made, positive change. I think patients and clients and medical professionals and people with lived experience are starting to speak out are starting to go into the field and know so much more such as yourself and I think people are making change towards hopefully a better system for the next generation there's definitely obstacles I think it's hard is one thing you think I have lived experience so I like will automatically be accepted in the field especially older clinicians don't see um what experience is an asset and some do still see it as a liability so it definitely does still feel like just extra layer to have to prove yourself and work and a lot does come up when you start learning about how to treat patients of realizing either I wasn't treated the way I should have been treated or that's not what worked for me and sort of navigating through all that those triggers and countertransference is something that I've definitely like had and I think it's made me a better coach of having to learn about that in grad school and then I'm able to apply it to my clients yes absolutely that makes a lot of sense um and kind of transitioning a little bit onto that topic of like your experience of being um a recovery coach I this is a little off topic I'm just gonna be honest um but I wanted to know if like what is if you had what's something you would like to say to someone who is struggling like as a recovery coach like if you could say only like a few things what would those pieces of wisdom be I always tell clients it's not your fault you're here you didn't do this like you didn't choose this and 
that recovery is just more than just deciding to choose it, that I know how hard this is and I know how you're trying. I think that's, I always try to emphasize with them that I acknowledging that they're trying and like thanking them for being here because I think, I think sometimes um, clinicians think like, oh, motivation is so important. They clients have to have such overt motivation. Like clients have to be like, I want to recover in order to receive treatment. But I try to like really emphasize with clients that them deciding to get a recovery coach on some level must mean they want recovery or that they're, they want to try something different. But you don't get a recovery coach if you have no interest whatsoever. That is, I love that. That is definitely like such a true thing. Like no one, you know, at least a part of you, if you're reaching out for help, wants help. If you're getting a recovery coach, at least a part of you wants recovery. I really like that. And I love that you tell clients that, you know, acknowledge their efforts. I think that's extremely important um, to validate the fact that even if necessarily the results aren't what other people, you know, parents, friends, themselves even are looking for that, you know, acknowledging the effort that's going in. And I think that's really beautiful. Thank you. I know um, from my own experience, like often they're hearing from parents or from loved ones that like, why aren't you trying harder? And there's a lot of shame-based messaging around eating disorders in general. And so I it's been, I know that perpetrates eating disorder and I don't want to be one more person that reprimands them for having an eating disorder because I know what that feels like. I snaps once again. I love that. That is so true. I definitely think it's really hard to be reprimanded for having an eating disorder when nobody without an eating disorder before forming one sets out with the intention of forming an eating disorder. Like that's not that's not something people want for the most part. Um, and I guess my next question for you, once again, kind of shifting, um, I want to talk a little bit more about uh, you and your practice. And I know you recently spoke at Mita, correct? Yes. How was, I know, like, how was that in relation to um, what you're currently doing and what you hope to do in the future? Um, just in relationship to your journey, if you wanted to speak about that at all. Definitely. I um, have really been trying to get involved with the Massachusetts eating disorder community. Um, I am a recovery coach right now. And I, even though I'm seeing clients virtually, I'm hoping to start seeing clients in person. And I would love to help like the greater Boston community and that's something I definitely feel passionate about and I have my own practice and I do definitely enjoy that and it's given me a lot of exposure to skills like assessments that are really useful for me. I've been thinking long term I'll have to see how I feel about coaching only because I love it And the fact that I 
next year, I'm going to graduate with a master's in counseling. So I will be switching roles sort of to being a licensed therapist. And I will definitely bring in some of my coaching skills into my therapy work. And I think I could not serve as a dual relationship on someone's team. Like I couldn't be their therapist and their coach. But I think people benefit from multiple perspectives. And I'm so I have I'll have to see like sort of what the future brings in terms of that. Um, I love I love it, and I know that that being in grad school that my life is going to continue to change. Yes, I. I, that makes a lot of sense and that's super cool that you're open to new experiences and to taking on a different role and I really like that you don't have it necessarily all set and sewn that you're kind of going to see where your heart and your brain and everything goes and how life you know floats and everything and um I think that's definitely I like the idea of that um I agree that it's important to have different perspectives in someone's recovery not to have like like you wouldn't want the therapist and the dietitian to be the same person. Um, you know, it's important to have different ideas, different uh, methods of work, I believe, anyways. Um, and before we're, we are kind of ending like the near-ish um, of the episode, I wanted to talk a little bit more about if you had uh, wanted to talk a bit more about your writing or about your book, kind of get some people knowing about it. Of course. Um, the way I structured my book is I want, there's so many eating disorder books about being sick. And I'm not going to name titles or anything like that. But there's a lot of books that use numbers and especially memoirs that are like, I struggled this way and this way. And I wanted my book to focus on recovery. So actually the very start of my book is like the, I'm choosing recovery like letter I wrote to myself and then it's sort of my revelations like and journey throughout recovery and recovery isn't easy um you sort of see see that but I don't I made an effort not to use any numbers in my book um I don't have any explicit mentions of behaviors because I wanted it to be a book that was accessible to the most amount of people in the eating disorder field and also would help people without being triggering. And I think there's something ironic and sad that I've noticed you can't have eating disorder books and eating disorder treatment because most of them are so triggering that they don't allow them. And I wanted it to be a book that people could use in treatment and I mean, it's been wonderful to see um, and in treatment centers and the way it's actually helped individuals. And I think that gives me a lot of hope. I still love writing and I still do write. And eventually I want to publish a second book. It wouldn't be the same format at all. I want to publish a book about going into the eating disorder field after lived experience with eating disorders and really talk about in different chapters, like 
different steps of it. Like, for instance, like, what it's like to be a grad student learning about eating disorders when you have an eating disorder, when you had an eating disorder, and some of that and, like, the training process. And I think there's really not a lot of insight and into what lived experience actually looks like. And I really hope to focus on that. And that's something I've been passionate about in grad school of sort of like educating my classmates about like what the, how the lived experience translates into what I'm doing now. Awesome. Yes. That's all super exciting. Your book sounds amazing. I'm, as I told you, I'm not really a reader, but I am this sounds so silly, but I'm practicing. Like I'm getting, I'm starting with smaller books, but I definitely your book for a while. Um, I haven't necessarily met my reading goal, so I'm not quite there yet, but I definitely have it on my list of books I want to read. Even as someone who's much farther along in recovery now, I would just love to get like, I like to get informed. I like to hear other people's stories. So I'm super excited about that. And it sounds really awesome. Um, I love how you mentioned, I've definitely agree. I think a lot of people who have picked up an eating disorder book, um, I know one of my friends was telling me she brought one to treatment and like the first day she had to go throw it away because she was like, the first sentence involves numbers, like triggering numbers, like the first sentence. And I love that you brought that up, that it's like, it's not, it's a book about recovery, not about an eating disorder. And I really appreciate that. I, I really wanted that because I think we have so many books about what it's like to be sick and I think people know that as the eating disorder experience is being sick but like what's it like to fight it like what's it like to try to get better yes yeah I I think that's super important and I definitely think it's almost like I think people know how to get sick if that makes sense like there's a lot of information out there on what being sick is like. And I think it's important to have more information out there on recovery and stories of inspiration and, you know, just more, more of that. And so I love that you put that out there, um, about like in a positive recovery in a positive way, like a, you know, a book that sounds really helpful. And I definitely recommend, I can't read it. My, I haven't read it myself. I'm going to guys, I swear it might take me a few more months. Um, because I'm not much of a reader, as I said, but I'm trying really hard to get into it because I personally am writing a fiction book right now and I need, um, I'm about 60,000 words in and I haven't read a book in four in four years. So I realized I probably need to start practicing writing, uh, by reading. So it's definitely on my to read list and I hope you guys all add it to yours too, because, um, just from what I know of Lucy and what you guys have heard. She's outstanding. Um, And with that said, we are nearing the end now. And I always give my guests an opportunity to say anything else, like a closing statement, something they wish uh, they had mentioned or something they want to reiterate to anyone listening. Definitely. Um, First of all, it's amazing that you're publishing a book. And one thing I always try to reiterate is no matter where you are in your journey like this isn't the end and recovery isn't the end like you don't reach being fully recovered or in a strong place in recovery and that's it it's not a stopping point 
I always say it's a beginning, like to the rest of your life. Like recovering is what gives you your life. And then from there, you can have a much for your life and do anything. But if you, there's not going to be a point where you're going to get to the end of recovery and like lose like everything. Yes, absolutely. That was such a good statement. And before we end the episode, I just wanted to give one more thank you on behalf of myself, but also everyone listening for such insightful words and just for your commitment and your, um, what's the word, your, how you're helping. I can't think of the word right now, but your, how you're helping uh, the community as a whole and how you're helping individuals. I think that's so amazing. And thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me today. Of course. Thank you. All right. With that said, I hope everyone had an amazing day. I hope the rest of your day is great. And I hope I see you at the next episode. Bye.